In the years 1932 and 1933, one of the greatest humanitarian disasters in human history occurred in what was then the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic in the Soviet Union. Millions of people died, yet the event was ignored by most of the Western press and wasn't even officially acknowledged by the Soviet government until the 1980s. Today, most people in the world still aren't aware of one of the greatest tragedies of the 20th century. Learn more about the Holodomor and the engineered famine that killed millions of people on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer plus get $20 off your first order. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. The word Holodomor is a Ukrainian word derived from the phrase Moriti Holodom, which means to kill by starvation. The word is intentionally not synonymous with the word for famine. The creation and usage of the word are designed to stress a famine that was inflicted upon someone on purpose, similar to the difference between the English words murder and death. With that in mind, to understand the events of Holodomor, we have to back up a few years to after the Communist Revolution, when Lenin was the leader of the Soviet Union. In theory, in the Soviet Union, all private property was outlawed. However, in 1921, Lenin instituted what was known as the New Economic Program. During the Russian Civil War, which followed the revolution, all businesses in the country were nationalized. However, in what he considered a temporary pragmatic move, Lenin's new economic program allowed for some free market reforms to exist alongside Soviet state-run enterprises. For the purposes of this episode, with respect to farmers, he removed the policy of forced grain seizures and replaced it with a tax which could be payable in grain. 
Soviet agricultural policy during the Civil War was a disaster. When anything and everything you produced could and would be taken without any compensation, no one had much of an incentive to work. Also, the new economic program also put farm collectivization on hold and allowed farmers to continue to grow crops on their private plots of land. Basically, the new economic program was more of a pragmatic program to do what worked, rather than an ideological program trying to force the round peg of reality into the square hole of Marxist theory. The new economic program ended in 1928 with the rise to power of Joseph Stalin. Stalin instituted what would become known as the Great Break. This was a dramatic turn in Soviet economic policy. Stalin outlawed private ownership of land and collectivized farms. The theory was that larger farms would be more efficient and could invest more into mechanization like tractors. One of Stalin's reasons for collectivizing the farms was that peasants were hoarding grain because the price was too low. Grain that Stalin thought belonged to the Soviet state. In 1929, Stalin declared war on the Kulaks, which were the larger landowning farmers. He announced the, quote, liquidation of the Kulaks as a class, and all Kulaks were either to be executed or sent to labor camps. The other thing that happened in 1928 with the rise of Stalin to power was his focus on crushing Ukrainian separatists. While Stalin's reforms did apply over the entire country, they were especially harshly enforced in Ukraine. Just as an example, by the end of the 1930s and the start of the Second World War, about 80% of the Ukrainian intelligentsia, including writers, community leaders, and even local Communist Party officials, had been killed. Stalin also reversed Lenin's policy on grain requisitioning. Moreover, Stalin put much more pressure on Ukraine than other parts of the Soviet Union. In 1930, for example, Ukraine produced 27% of the grain in the country, but was required to supply 38% of the grain required by the government. In 1931, the percentage which Ukraine was required to produce was 42% of all Soviet grain. Yet Stalin did everything in his power to make sure they couldn't produce it. Stalin instituted the first five-year plan, and everything was now centrally controlled and planned. However, Ukraine was issued fewer tractors and other farm implements than other Soviet regions, the very things which were supposed to make the large collective farms more efficient in the first place. Needless to say, everything resulted in a collapse in agricultural production. Stalin, however, wanted his grain, and it didn't matter how much was produced. In 1932, brigades of Communist Party members were formed that went looking for hidden grain on farms and individual homes. Grain that had been stored on collective farms for next year's seed or for emergency purposes were also confiscated. Wherever there was food, the central government took it. Moreover, in August of 1932, Stalin outlawed the practice of gleaning. Gleaning is when you go to a field that has already been harvested and hunted for specks of whatever was missed by the harvest. Stalin declared that, quote, people who encroach on socialist property should be considered enemies of the people. The penalty for gleaning was death or 10 years in the gulag. In the first five months after the gleaning law was enacted, 54,645 people were sentenced to hard labor and 2,110 were executed. The worst of the famine began to set in in the spring of 1932. Entire villages were put on economic blacklists where they were systematically starved and prevented from obtaining or growing food. Rather than repurposing grain to feed starving people, Stalin ignored all food aid requests and continued to sell Soviet grain to foreign markets. Even private assistance from people in cities who were given a ration of food could result in the gulag or the firing squad. Ukrainians naturally tried to flee going to neighboring Soviet republics or to leave the country. However, Stalin ordered the NKVD to close off the borders of Ukraine to prevent anyone from fleeing. Death was everywhere in Ukraine. Bodies would drop in the middle of the street, and no one would even bat an eye. 
At its peak, an estimated 25,000 people died of hunger every day. One of the most harrowing accounts of the famine was published in Timothy Snyder's 2010 book, The Bloodlands. He wrote, quote, Survival was a moral as well as a physical struggle. A woman doctor wrote to a friend in June 1933 that she had not yet become a cannibal, but was not sure that I might not be one by the time my letter reaches you. The good people died first. Those who refused to steal or to prostitute themselves died. Those who gave food to others died. Those who refused to eat corpses died. Those who refused to kill their fellow man died. Parents who resisted cannibalism died before their children did. End quote. Cannibalism became so rampant that the Soviet government had to literally publish posters that said, to eat your own children is a barbarian act. The total number of people who died in the Holodomor is unknown because any official death statistics were purposely buried by the Soviets. The number ranges from 2.5 million people to as high as 10 million. The best mathematical estimates that I've seen that extrapolate from known demographic data put the number at around 4.5 million dead in just Ukraine. The true scale of the death will probably never be known. While all of this was occurring, Stalin didn't just control the flow of people coming in and out of Ukraine. He also controlled the flow of information. The official Soviet line was that there was no famine in Ukraine. However, there were whispers of some great tragedy unfolding being spread through the Soviet Union and eventually to countries around the world. And here I should note the role of Walter Durante. Durante was the Moscow bureau chief for the New York Times. He was first stationed in Moscow in 1922 and was known for writing articles that were very favorable towards the Soviet government. He defended the practice of sending people to labor camps and would often just repeat Soviet talking points. His coverage of the Soviet Union eventually earned him a private interview with Stalin, one of the only ones ever given to a Western reporter. That gave him a great deal of status with both the New York Times and with other correspondents in Moscow. In March of 1933, a British reporter named Gareth Jones made a trip to the Soviet Union, and while he was there, he managed to sneak into Ukraine and observe for himself what was happening. When he left, he went immediately to Berlin, where he issued a press release on what he found, which was later picked up by newspapers around the world. He noted, quote, I walked along through villages and 12 collective farms. Everywhere was the cry, there is no bread, we are dying. I tramped through the Black Earth region because that was once the richest farmland in Russia, and because the correspondents had been forbidden to go there to see for themselves what is happening. In the train, a communist denied to me that there was a famine. I flung my crust of bread, which I had been eating from my own supply, into a spittoon. A peasant fellow passenger fished it out and ravenously ate it. I threw an orange peel into the spittoon, and the peasant again grabbed it and devoured it. The communist subsided. I stayed overnight in a village where there used to be 200 oxen and where there are now six. The peasants were eating the cattle fodder and had only a month's supply left. They told me that many had already died of hunger. Two soldiers came to arrest a thief. They warmed me against travel by night as there were too many starving, desperate men. End quote. This recounting of the famine was then denied publicly by Durante. He wrote an article in the New York Times later that week titled, Russians Hungry But Not Starving. In it, he said, quote, In the middle of the diplomatic duel between Great Britain and the Soviet Union over the accused British engineers, there appears from a British source a big scare story in the American press about famine in the Soviet Union, with thousands already dead and million menaced by deaths from starvation. End quote. In a later article, he called the reports of a famine, quote, exaggeration or malignant propaganda. Subsequent research showed that Durante knew very well what was happening. In 1934, he privately told diplomats at the British Embassy that as many as 10 million people may have died. 
and that's been confirmed by many Americans and British expats who lived in Moscow at the time. The cherry on top of all of this is that Durante was awarded the Pulitzer Prize in 1932 for his coverage of the Soviet Union. To this day, the prize has never been revoked, even though the New York Times itself has urged the Pulitzer Committee to do so. Gareth Jones was assassinated by the Soviet NKVD in 1935 at the age of 29 when he was on assignment in Mongolia. There's an excellent movie which was released in 2019 called Mr. Jones, which recounts the story of Gareth Jones and Walter Durante, and I highly, highly recommend it. The legacy of the Holodomor is still with us today. When the Nazis invaded the Soviet Union, tens of thousands of Ukrainians fought for the Germans, primarily due to having survived the Holodomor. The areas of Ukraine which experienced the greatest depopulation were repopulated with ethnic Russians. Two of these regions, the easternmost parts of Ukraine, Donetsk and Luhansk, are still primarily populated by ethnic Russians today and have recently declared their independence. The Soviet Union denied there was any famine in Ukraine until the 1980s, and even then the information which was released was scarce. There are still people today who are Holodomor deniers, who say that the number of deaths was exaggerated or that it was due to natural circumstances, and some extremists claim that it never happened at all. One of the biggest debates is if the Holodomor should be classified as a genocide. To date, 14 countries recognize the Holodomor as a legal case of genocide, as did Raphael Lemkin, the man who coined the term genocide and was responsible for the Genocide Convention. One of the reasons why so few people are aware of the Holodomor is because it was purposely kept a secret. There are very few photos that were ever taken, and fewer which were allowed to be kept, and there were very few testimonials that were ever given. By the time the Soviets had been forthcoming with acknowledging it, most of the survivors had died. The events which occurred in Ukraine 90 years ago still reverberate with us today, and if you look closely at what's on the news, you can still see the legacy of the Holodomor. Everything Everywhere Daily is an airwave media podcast. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com. And remember, if you leave a review or send in a question, you too can have it read on the show.